We're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We'll be in verses 8 and 9 this morning. We are in our series going through this book and taking our time to soak in 1 Peter. We'll probably be into the middle of the summer before we finish the series and just soaking in this wonderful book that teaches us about living as elect exiles in the world. Just wonderful, gospel-filled, glorious book uh, of God's Word. And last week we heard... Uh, from verses 6 and 7, uh, Jeff served us so well in bringing the truth of the reality of our lives lived uh, amidst trials for the purposes of testing and proving our faith, resulting in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. These verses follow on from that and really the whole first section of Peter which speaks about what we have in Christ, how blessed we are. Peter brings these truths to a people who are struggling, facing trials. He wants them to hear the truth, the truth of the Gospel, the truth of what they have in Christ, that they might be equipped to live a life amidst trials and challenges. So we are going to pick up in verses 8 and 9 as Peter continues here. But first let's pray and then we'll read the Word of God. Lord, we just thank You for Your precious Word. Lord, we thank You that You, the Infinite One, communicate your truths, which are full of glory, which are ultimately infinite themselves to us through your Word, by your Spirit. And that, Lord, as we consider your Word, as your Word is preached, and as we listen to it, Lord, you are active in revealing your glory to us and changing our lives, Lord God. What a wonderful thing. We are so glad and so thankful for your Word and for your presence and ministry through your Word. And so we ask you, God, to come and do just these things. We acknowledge that we are sinners and we can only come by the blood and righteousness of Christ. And so we're glad that we are forgiven, Lord, that I am forgiven now before You and that You've given us Your Spirit and grace that we might hear from You. And so we we look to You, we rely on these things, and we look forward to how You'll speak, Lord. Help me to serve You and Your people, we pray, for Your glory. Amen. Amen. Verses 8 and 9 in 1 Peter. says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Speaking of Christ. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, 8-9. Peter, in these verses, is once again calling our attention back, calling us back to rejoice in God. He's given us, in earlier sections in this first part of chapter 1, reasons for rejoicing. He's given us and spoken of the amazing gracious and unstoppable activity of God in our lives, past, present, and future. He's spoken of the reality around our rejoicing, that our rejoicing is amidst 
a life that is at times full of trial for the purpose of testing and proving our faith. And now in this section, he talks about the nature or the recipe of our rejoicing, the content of our rejoicing. He talks about this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, fueled by the grace of God, in particular the the triad of grace gifts of faith, hope, and love in this passage. What we learn really from this passage today is that the powerful God-given gifts of faith, hope, and love fill us with joy. A joy that is inexpressible which strengthens us. I believe Peter's objective is that we might be strengthened for the journey. Faith, hope, and love produce joy inexpressible which strengthens us for the journey. A number of years ago, uh, some researchers researchers took two sets of laboratory rats and they placed them in separate tubs of water. They left one set in the water and found that within an hour, all the rats had drowned. The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Not because they were given a rest, but because they suddenly had hope. The animals somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little longer, someone would reach down and rescue them. If hope holds such power for unthinking rodents, how much greater should true hope and love and faith and joy affect our lives? That's what God is after in our lives. That's what Peter is after as he ministers to these people. This reality that God's gift of faith, hope, and love fill us with joy for the journey of life, which is often amidst trials. Sometimes we're in the vat of water swimming away. And the Lord wants to minister to us. So let's talk about these things. Let's talk about faith, hope, and love in this passage. These are three Christian virtues. You've probably heard of them. They're mentioned explicitly in 1 Corinthians 13.13. Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three. Actually, these virtues are explicitly in Scripture and they're implicitly throughout the entire Bible. In other verses, 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These themes of faith, hope, and love characterize God's people throughout time. Jonathan Edwards says about these, he says, faith, hope, and love are the three gifts into which all Christianity is to be resolved. Faith, hope, and love. You may ask, well, where are faith, hope, and love in 1 Peter 1, 8, and 9? Do you see that in the passage? Do you see faith, hope, and love there? Take a look with me. It says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And then, that's love. Then, though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. There's faith. 
And then later, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And when Peter speaks of salvation in First Peter, he's talking about the whole package. Not that you're saved now, forgiven of your sins, but there's an ultimate finishing of that ahead. So in this passage is hope as well. You are rejoicing with this great joy as you are obtaining this outcome. You are living in hope of what's ahead. So we see in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, faith, hope, and love fueling this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory that propels us in life amidst trials. It's interesting that Peter writes this letter to a group of people he probably hasn't met. There might be some folks there that he knows, but probably most of them, and there probably were thousands of folks in the region that this letter went to, Peter's never met them. And he assumes these qualities for them. He doesn't say, if you have faith. He doesn't say, if you have love. He doesn't say, if you have hope. He assumes these qualities of faith, hope, and love, and joy, even though he doesn't know them. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would Peter assume those things? Why would Peter assume those things for a group of people that he's already recognizing are going through trials? Isn't it a little bit presumptuous to assume that there's faith, hope, and love for these folks? Isn't it a little bit presumptuous to speak of their joy inexpressible and full of glory? These are folks going through trials, Peter. I mean, that's a little bit of a faux pas, isn't it? To talk about joy inexpressible and filled with glory. You don't even know these people and you don't even know what they're going through. They're going through trials and you're speaking about faith, hope, and love and joy inexpressible and filled with glory. What are you thinking, Peter? How can you say these things? Well, I think Peter knows and God knows that to be a Christian is to experience the gifts of faith, hope, and love. To be a believer is to experience the gifts of faith, hope, and love. These are gifts resident in every believer. And therefore, to assume the joy that flows from faith, hope, and love, even amidst trials. When we live in Jesus, when there's faith, hope, and love that's focused on Jesus, there's joy. There's joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards speaks about this truth and why this is true for all of us. We have a quote to put up there. He says, The same sight or sense of God's excellency begets faith and love and repentance and all the other graces. One sight of this excellence, and this excellence is ultimately Jesus Christ revealed in and through the Gospel. One sight of this excellence will beget all these graces because it shows the ground and reason of all holy dispositions and of all holy behavior toward God. They that truly know God's nature will love Him and trust in Him and have a spirit to submit to Him and serve and obey Him. 
And then later it says, Faith is the soul's entirely embracing the revelation of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Faith is the soul's entirely acquiescing in and depending upon the truth of God, revealing Christ as our Savior. Now, Jonathan Edwards is a really smart guy and sometimes he's hard to understand. The bottom line is this. If you see Jesus Christ for who you are, for who He is, if you see Jesus Christ for who He is, the result is automatically faith in Him and hope in Him and love for Him and therefore joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. These things flow from not who you are and not from what your circumstances are, but from who Jesus is. That's why Peter can assume it for the people he's writing the letter to. It's like this. Can you imagine if we had a mutual friend and we had never met before? But we have a mutual friend we've known for a while and this friend is vivacious and sensitive, considerate, and really witty and lots of fun to be with. And if I met you and I had never seen you before, but we knew of this mutual friend, would it not be right to assume some things about our mutual relationship with this friend? Wouldn't we say, this? isn't so-and-so great? Isn't it so much fun to be around? Don't you enjoy times when you're with our friends? You could assume that. Would it be right to do that? Yes. Based on what? Not yourself, but on your mutual friends. How much more Jesus Christ? Peter's mutual friend. Peter's mutual Savior and King with his readers. So he can say rightly, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your, salva- of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He can rightly say that because he knows that they trust in Christ. And it's interesting, Peter says this. He says, even though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Do you see that there in the passage? It's interesting who's saying this. It's Peter. Peter is saying it. Peter has seen Jesus. Peter has walked with Jesus. Peter's been with Jesus. They had never heard Jesus say the things to them the way they said, Jesus said them to Peter. They had never been called with, by Jesus from their fishing boat. They weren't there for the Sermon on the Mount. They never touched Him physically. They never ate with Him, laughed with Him. They didn't deny Him within earshot by that charcoal fire three times. They didn't find themselves restored threefold by that charcoal fire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They hadn't experienced what Peter did. But it didn't make a difference. It didn't make a difference. Faith is not sight. Faith is indeed reasonable, but does not need sight. It is a gift from God to have faith. And through faith, to know God. And to experience Him just as Peter did. Just as real. Though not with the five senses as Peter had, but just as real. Perhaps Peter, as he was saying these things in verse 8, was remembering Jesus' words to Thomas. Do you remember what? Jesus said to Thomas, when Thomas finally saw and finally fully believed, Jesus said to him, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our knowledge of Christ 
is just as personal and just as real as Peter's was and as Thomas's was. Through the miracle of God's Word, through the miracle of the preaching of God's Word, the listening of God's Word, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we encounter Jesus Christ just like these folks did. Although they hadn't seen Him, and although they had not yet seen Him or had not already seen Him, however it's worded, they encountered Jesus. They saw Jesus. They experienced Jesus. And we do as well. When we hear the Word of God preached, the Holy Spirit comes. When we hear Jesus Christ, and particularly the Gospel, the good news of Christ, preached by the Spirit, we encounter Him. And there's faith in us. And there's love in us. And there's joy in us. When we hear the story about Jesus, God become man, born as a poor baby in a barn. When we hear about how He lived a life of love for others. When about teaching truth, when we read about Him healing the sick and helping the poor, when we see His love for, the heavenly, for our Heavenly Father, when he, we see how He called outcasts and sinners to turn from their sin to God, when we read about and hear about His sufferings for us and recall His death on the cross, when we hear and read that His last words on that cross were not cries of anguish, bitterness, and despair, but pleadings of love for others and trust in His Father. When we see Him on the cross bearing the curse of our sin, and when we know that He was raised on the third day victorious over sin and death, when these things are proclaimed and preached, the Spirit of God comes and breathes life. And we encounter Jesus Christ just like Peter did. Just like Thomas did. He is realer to us than anything our five senses would ever tell us as the Spirit of God makes Him known to us. And we embrace Him and experience faith and hope and love. So Peter can say what he does. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This life, this gift, ultimately faith and love and hope are gifts that flow from Him, from the new life we have in Him. In Christ, as we hear the Gospel preached and as the Spirit makes Him known to our hearts, we experience faith, hope, and love. It is the gifts that all believers have. And these gifts produce a joy in our lives. And Peter describes this joy as inexpressible. It's beyond words. You cannot ever fully communicate what it's all about. The fullness of the joy. The the depth of the joy. The thoroughness of the joy. It's inexpressible. It's beyond words. We can use words to try to communicate it, but ultimately when you experience this joy, it's indescribable. That's what Peter means. And it's full of glory. It's glorious. It's packed with content. It's not fake and shallow joy. It's content-full 
joy, its glorious joy, the things that comprise it and motivate it are glorious. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. We are joyful when we feel good about something. It's an emotion. It's a disposition. It's a frame of mind in living evoked by well-being or good fortune or the prospect of possessing something we desire. It's delight. It's bliss. It's a state of happiness. It's a knowledge, sense, and experience of well-being and unfleeting happiness. Not happiness that kind of comes and goes, but happiness that is unfleeting. And biblically, it's Biblical joy is rooted in God and overflows in our lives. There's all types of joy, but joy is that sense of well-being that's beyond just momentary. It's, it's deep. I imagine there'll be some Arizona Cardinal fans perhaps today, that's who I'm rooting for, who will maybe experience joy as their underdogs finally, the underdogs finally win the big game. Yeah, I know, I got it. I like the Steelers, but not as much. I like underdogs. That's probably what it is. Plus, plus I'm tired of losing to the Steelers. So. We, experience, we experience joy in other things. You can experience joy at the birth of a child, the presence of a friend. We can experience joy in the seasons and circumstances of our lives. Uh, a new church building, that's right. We can, we can experience joy in these things. When I was 10 years old, I had an experience of joy. I was 10 years old and my older brother and sister, they were in middle school. I was in, still in like grammar school at that time. And because they were in middle school, they, they had to do homework. And because they had to do homework every night, they had desks. And because they had desks, they had ink blotters on their desks. You know those things, the square, like two feet by two feet things? You put your calendar in and, and stuff. You put it in the center of your desk. They had ink blotters. I didn't have an ink blotter. I had a desk, but it didn't have an ink blotter on it. And I looked at my brother and sister and thought, they've got ink blotters. What I need to be truly happy is an ink blotter. <laughs> and I talked to my parents about getting an ink blotter. And I was very earnest in my request for ink blotters because they need to understand my life, in some ways, the joy of my life depended on having an ink blotter. And I told them again and again, and, and if you know my family, you would be uh, able to guess that they just made fun of me when I asked for ink blotters. <laughs> and they teased me endlessly, and they were so cruel <laughs> and so uncaring. I eventually resigned myself to the, to the reality that I might not get an ink blotter. I might never get an ink blotter. had to struggled through life somehow without an ink blotter. And my birthday came around and all the teasing that had gone on, I figured I'm not going to get an ink blotter and they gave me all my gifts and I opened them and I tried to do my best to make it through my birthday without an ink blotter. I was thankful for the gifts that they gave and then finally at the end, to my surprise, truly, they brought out this very flat and big gift and I opened it up and it was an ink blotter. I was so overjoyed, I wept. <laughs> Life was good. I had an ink water. <laughs> it was sky blue. 
I remember it. I had it for a long time. Life was good with my ink blotter. Well, I had joy. The substance of my joy was not filled with glory. It was not an inexpressible joy, but I had joy. Joy comes as we have what we desire. And when the thing that we desire is truly worthy, our joy is deep and full and whole. When we recognize that we do indeed have this thing, we experience joy. And if you're a believer, you have something much better than an ink blotter. It is truly yours. Jesus Christ is yours. You are saved from your sin. You belong to Him. You have something truly worthy. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves about what we have. Sometimes we need to know that we have this and not be distracted by the other things that weigh in on our minds. We have something much more significant than an ink blotter. We have Jesus Christ. We have salvation in Him. And there are so many components to this reality. There's no way in one message to talk about it. But let's just talk about some of the things that we have in Christ. Why this joy is filled with glory. And why therefore it is inexpressible. First and foremost, all of your sins, if you are His, all of your sins are forgiven. All of them. All of the things that you have done and thought and been that are contrary to God's good and loving and holy ways. All those thoughts, all those jealous thoughts, all those self-righteous thoughts, all those impatient thoughts, all the neglect to love others and to think the right things, all those actions, all those things you are ashamed of and more, all things that you have done that violate love and condemn your conscience, all that stuff. Jesus went to the cross to pay the just penalty and to remove holy, just wrath of God from your life. He shed His blood for you. You are forgiven. And He was raised on the third day that you might be accepted and received in His sight. All of your sins are forgiven. All of them. The worst thing that could ever happen to you, far worse than anything you could imagine, has been removed out of the picture now to be separated from God because of your sin. To face an eternal exile of misery, apart from all that is good, the worst thing that could happen to you has been removed out of the picture. It's not in the picture anymore. All you have is forgiveness and love and an eternal future with Him. That's a reason for joy. That's why it's filled with glory. And not only that, but God now works all things in your life for good. He says in Romans 8, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You are no longer a slave to the whims of circumstance. Circumstances no longer happen to you. They happen for you. God designs circumstances for your good. What is that good? To conform you and corporately the people of God to the image of Christ. That's the best good for you. To make you like Jesus. And so He designs life for that purpose. He puts you on that potter's wheel 
He is the potter. You are the clay. He puts you on that wheel and He molds and He shapes you with circumstances. He even lets the enemy at times come in the potter's room and do things to you, but even that, He comes and He redeems and He reshapes and He forms you around those things. You are on that potter's wheel and He is forming you for good. He uses all things for good. So this life is full of that promise that all things are for your good. He loves you with an infinite love. Sinclair Ferguson has said that when we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes in order to win us back to Himself. Then he says this, we would almost think that God loved us more than He loves His Son. We cannot measure His love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. The Father's love for you can only be measured by the Son's worth. And the Father paid for you with the most priceless thing, the most priceless one in all the universe. So the size of His love for you is measured by the infinitely worthy and glorious Son. He gave up His Son so that He might have you. I don't understand it. But it comes from love. His love for you is infinite. It's of that measure. That's how much He loves you if you are His. He loves you that much. That is a reason for joy inexpressible and full of glory. He's with you always. He'll never leave you. Never forsake you. Ever. He's with you. Other folks will come and go. I was just looking on Facebook at some old pictures that my son posted and, and uh, just had this passing thought of, I miss my friends. That time, the picture brought me back to a time when we were in another context with other friends. And, and, and my, my friends, my Christian friends in particular, at that point, I miss my friends. Friends come and go. Dear friends are indeed dear, but they are not omnipresent. They're not always with you. Even your best friends even your spouse, at some point, you will leave your spouse or your spouse will leave you. If not, well, perhaps temporarily. Well, we, temporarily we know. But nevertheless, your spouse will not always be with you. But He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you always as your Savior and King. That is a reason for joy inexpressible and full of glory. There's a future for you as well. A sure future. You are obtaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One day you will go to be with Him face to face and with His people and there will be fullness of joy, unending bliss, no more sin, no more confusion, no more disappointment, no more parting from others. You'll be with Him and then when He returns, He will renew the earth There will be a new earth where earth and heaven are joined together and we will enjoy Him with His people forever. That is yours in Jesus Christ. That is what your salvation means. So you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There are many reasons. There are all these reasons and more for our joy to be glory-filled and inexpressible. There is no lack of worth in the reason for our joy. 
But sometimes we feel that there is a lack of worth. We lack the sense of the worth of what we have. And at times, Peter's words can, can seem like mocking to our heartache and struggle. There are seasons of life that are difficult. Sometimes we don't get the ink blotter on our birthday. Sometimes our dreams, even our long-held dreams and plans, don't come to pass. There are times when you don't get that promotion. There are times when the dream house is foreclosed on. There's a time when the hospital bills might be too big to pay. When a loved one passes. When the kids disappoint rather than delight. And at those times, speaking of joy inexpressible and filled with glory can seem trite and cruel. But is it? Doesn't Peter know that these are just the same things that his readers are going through and perhaps even worse? Doesn't he know to whom he's speaking? He's not being cruel. Nor is he being unrealistic. Neither is God. God knows that when you are in those moments of trial, joy inexpressible and full of glory is exactly what He is after. It's in and through those trials, and we learned about this last week, that God wants to work that joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. He wants to work in you and in me a joy that is so substantial that no circumstance can ever cause it to wane. He wants to work a joy so glorious that everything else pales in comparison. Whether they be good things or bad things. That everything else would pale in comparison with what you have in Jesus Christ. That is what He's after even in those trials. So Peter is not being cruel or trite. He's going right after the heart of the matter for his readers. God is pursuing for you joy inexpressible and full of glory through trials as you live in faith, hope, and love. He is teaching you joy that is substantial and glory-filled. The problem isn't that Jesus is any less glorious. It's that we often don't see it. And He wants us to see it. He wants us to receive this truth and live in it. We must be weaned often of lesser things to find our joy in the greater. And God will use whatever He wants, whatever it takes. And that looks different for us. Some face particularly hard circumstances. Others don't. God knows how to weave it together that we might find our joy in Him. Some of you might be acquainted with the name Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor who he founded Voice of the Martyrs, I believe. And he served in Romania as a pastor, part of the underground church, and he was tortured for his faith. They, there were many believers tortured in Romania. They would do some horrible things, uh, just to get at people, to get them, their, their desire was to get them to deny Christ. And, and uh, if not that, they would, would 
often kill them. And he speaks about uh, many of his tortures. One of them, they would take him and put him in a freezer with barely any clothes on and wait till he started to get hypothermia and, and almost die. Then they would take him out, warm him up till he was okay, then put him back in and just do that over and over and over again. God taught Pastor Wormbrand some things about joy in circumstances that probably none of us will ever come close to. And he says something very profound in one of his writings about this. If we could put this up. You have been tortured so much, nothing counts anymore. The fact that I should not have pain also does not count. Draw this last conclusion at the stage at which you have arrived and you will see that you will overcome this one moment of crisis. And he's talking about when the torture is so bad. It gives you an intense inner joy. You feel that Christ has been with you in that decisive moment. And what Pastor Wormbrand is talking about is when you get to the point where everything's been taken from you and all you know is pain, you realize there's something bigger than the pain. And there's something greater than all the things that you had and lost that they cannot take away from you. You have Jesus Christ. You have forgiveness. You have salvation. And at that point, as he recognized that, even at this horrible state of torture, he experienced an intense inner joy. And he was able to overcome the torture and go through it. Now that is an extreme case. But it is analogous to what God's working in our lives. God wants us to live in this joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. He wants to teach us that it's greater than any good thing we could ever have. It's more glorious and expansive than any hardship we might ever have. He wants us to know the depths of our salvation and to know this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. If the band could come up as we close. This is the sort of joy God wants to work in our lives. And Peter knows that his folks need to know this. He also knows it's a reality for them. He wants to fan it into flame in their lives. The joy of the Lord strengthens us for the journey. It allows us to get through the hardships. It allows us to put things in proper perspective. Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The Father wants to strengthen you in joy. He wants to refine your joy. He wants to increase your joy. He wants to give you overcoming joy. Inexpressible and full of glory. He wants to replace a crushed spirit with a joyful heart. Not a trivial, happy-go-lucky heart that's blind to trials, but a joyful heart that's deeper and stronger and fuller than the worst things this world can throw at us. A joy that's propelled by knowing Christ and our salvation. A joy that is of the same sort of joy that Christ had and therefore endured the cross. 
We're going to close in song. And I believe that there's some of us here, for whatever reason, you are experiencing a crushed spirit rather than a heart full of joy and expressful and full of glory. And the Lord wants to minister to you. The Lord wants to replace that crushed spirit with joy in Him. You may not be facing the torture that Pastor Wurmbrand did, but maybe it's difficult circumstances, loss of health, employment, loved ones, whatever it might be. God is interested in your joy. So we're going to take some time after, uh, as we sing and afterwards to, to offer prayer. And if you would like prayer, I just want to encourage you to come on up front. And uh, I'll be over here. Maybe a couple of our leaders will be here to the side. We would love to pray for you that you might experience joy for the journey. That you might know this joy that is bigger than your circumstances. That is inexpressible and full of glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You've given us these gifts of faith and hope and love in You. That as a result, Lord, we are experiencing joy. Joy that's bigger than the harshest trials and the greatest blessings we might face on this earth. We want to be a people of joy, O God. We pray that You would teach us about this joy. You would fill us with this joy. And You would bring glory to Your name and blessings to, blessing to others through this joy, we pray. In Christ's name.